Good morning, everyone. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. We're kind of using that as our base verse this morning as we continue on talking about sanctification. I, um, I've had a good time studying sanctification, and uh, it has largely been convicting. I feel like every time uh, I read and study more about uh, what, it, what it means and, and how we achieve it, I'm convicted that I need to be, uh, well, better than I am. And so I pray that I will be that way by the power of the Spirit, and I pray for all of us that we would be that way as well. So we're just going to read one verse this morning, Colossians chapter 3. Starting in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Father, thank you for uh, this verse, and we pray that as we uh, place our faith in Christ, as we believe in him as our Savior, that we would indeed seek the things that are above, uh, that we would be focused on whatever is at your right hand and whatever it is that you care about, that we would do that by the power of your spirit and the honor of Christ. We love you and pray this in your name. Amen. So we have been talking about sanctification, that moment in time or that period of time after you become a believer, before you've made it to heaven. It is a process where you become more and more like Christ as time goes on. We've said that it is an internal supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. So you are sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that you can just do by yourself. It's not you just cleaning up your behavior. It is an internal thing. And yet, we are told that we still need to play a certain role in sanctification. We're still commanded to strive for peace and holiness. We're told to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. And when we are commanded to have something done to us, like be transformed by the renewing of your mind, how do you, how do you be transformed? You can't just go out and be transformed. How do you do it? It means you have to put yourself in the way of, we need to do the things that we know the Spirit uses in order to sanctify us. We need to do what works. I was just talking to my parents recently. We were asking them to watch our dog again, which is just what every parent likes to do, is take care of their children's responsibilities. But uh, every once in a while we need them to do it, and they were explaining What the problem was last time, our dog did not like to go outside at their house. And he would go up to the back door and he would sit there and they would need to leave. And they'd be trying to shoo him outside and he wouldn't go. They'd throw treats outside and he wouldn't go. My mom said that she had to hide outside by the door and they had to convince him to go outside and they'd slam the door behind him. And I was like, mom, like this is... There's got to be a better way than this. Like, what kind of treats were you using? Can you use better treats? We were talking on and on. And finally, I told her, you know what will definitely work is if you just go to the store and buy a rotisserie chicken. Because my dog loves rotisserie chicken. He'll howl and howl and then just cut off a little piece, throw it outside, and he'll go outside. I'm like, you don't, you don't need to worry about spoiling the dog. <laughs> Certainly not. Just do what works. Get him outside. Give him the chicken. This is kind of what we need to do with sanctification. Do what works. The point isn't that you are sanctifying yourself or that, or that sanctification is this external set of standards. But we know that the Holy Spirit, he could, just, he could just perform a miracle. You could just be the most Christ-like person in the entire world tomorrow because of a miracle that happened in your heart. But more likely, the Spirit will use these various tools that he's given us in order to sanctify us over time. And last week we talked about one of them. We intended to talk about two, but we only got to one. We talked about the importance of Scripture. There is no path to sanctification that does not include Scripture. You need to read your Bible. You need to listen to your Bible. And part of what I want to bring up over and over again as we talked about as we talk about these tools of sanctification is that you should feel free 
to be creative in how you employ these various tools. You do not have to do the same thing as everyone else. There are more paths to sanctification than reading the Bible in a year over and over and over again. You can, you can try different things. Again, reading or listening, you can read the same book over and over again, or you can read a bunch of books over and over again. You can focus on the New Testament or the Old Testament or all of Scripture. You can try doing the same reading plan as a friend. You can do any number of things. Try different things, all to help you create good habits in yourself. But it's, it's more than just reading Scripture. You should be thinking about it. You should be meditating on it. You should be memorizing it, both intentionally because you love this passage and want to know it, and it should just happen because there are certain passages that you tend to focus on, and so it's on your mind so much that you just naturally memorize it. You should become a curious person. You should be thinking, what does Scripture say about any number of questions for the rest of your life? I just had a friend of mine email me this week. I was so excited. Uh, it was, uh, there was a couple, I, I performed uh, premarital counseling for them, and I, I officiated their wedding, and they live in Idaho now, I think, I don't know. But she was going to start leading a Bible study for high school girls on the book of Revelation. And I was like, are you sure you want to do that? But she was, because they were really interested, and so she wanted to talk about, she's like, I want to make sure that I go over all of the different interpretive schools for Revelation, and I especially want to, want to talk about ties to the Old Testament in the book of Revelation. I'm like, well, that sounds like a lot of work, uh, but it'll be a lot of fun if you can pull it off. And so she wanted to know, like, what are some good books that I can use? I'm like, okay, let me give you all kinds of books. I think I recommended like 25 different books over the course of an email. I typed entirely too much getting back to her. But it's fun to see someone like the, the very basic question of how do I explain this particular book of the Bible to a group of high school girls? Like that is, that was a very specific question, but one that she was curious about and had a, had a vested interest in figuring out because she was literally about to start doing this. And I love it. It's great. We need to all be curious about what does the Bible say or how would I explain that to someone else? We need a natural curiosity about Scripture. And all of those things, we read Scripture, we think about it, we meditate on it, we memorize it, we are curious about it. These are the sorts of things that the Spirit uses to make us more like Christ. So we're going to talk about four more tools that the Spirit uses in order to sanctify us this morning. Four more. One main one and a couple other, not smaller ones, but one that we're not going to focus on quite as much this morning. Prayer is a very obvious second place to start for important tools that the, the Spirit uses. I think this is the most basic way to follow after Christ once you become a believer is to read your Bible and pray. God intended his children to receive many of his gifts by asking Luke eleven nine 9 says, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. James 4, 2 says something similar. You desire, and you do not have, so you murder. You covet, and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have, because you do not ask. God enjoys being a provider who gives gifts and supplies the needs of his children. He likes to be asked, and he likes to then provide based on what he has been asked. My son informed me recently that he would like an Xbox for Christmas. You've got to respect the shooter. It would never have occurred to me to buy him an Xbox for Christmas. If he wouldn't have asked, there would have been no chance that he would receive one because it just wouldn't have occurred to us. Now, when he doesn't get an Xbox for Christmas, he will know that it was a completely intentional choice uh, that his parents have made. But he's got to ask. He's got to ask. And this is what God wants 
from us. God does not necessarily give us everything that we ask for, but asking is something that God wants us to do and something that God uses to accomplish our sanctification. And especially when we are praying and asking for things specifically related to our own sanctification, our own Christ-likeness, when we are praying and asking for Christ to be glorified through us, those are the sorts of things that God loves to answer. John 14, verses 13 and 14. Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. We get an indication of why God would answer a prayer. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. God loves to answer prayers that glorify both himself and his Son. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us then with confidence draw near the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We know that we receive grace and mercy through prayer. We also receive peace, Philippians 4, 6-7 says. Do not be anxious about everything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Have you ever felt like you needed a lot of grace and mercy from God, from others? Have you ever felt a total lack of peace in your life? How do you receive those things? You can try and manufacture your own kind of peace. You can try and manufacture a feeling of of graciousness and mercy toward you. But ultimately, it's something that comes from God, and it's something that you receive through prayer specifically. Very similarly to Scripture, there is no path toward sanctification that doesn't include prayer. Ever thought about this? How do you know if something is by your own power, if something was by the power of the Spirit. We talk about how sanctification is an internal supernatural work. And we're told to do things like walk by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then we're given examples of what the fruit of the Spirit are. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, etc., etc. Like how do you know that when you are being kind, if some instance of kindness from you, how do you know that that was you walking by the Spirit And not you just trying your hardest by your own power to be kind. Right? Because it's it's hard to tell sometimes. Sometimes you recognize a bad habit in yourself. Oh, I am sometimes rude to others. I should show more kindness. And and you you think I should I should try and make that character change. I should not be so short with everyone else. I should not be rude. But are you trying to do this by your own power, or is the spirit doing it in you? It's not always that easy to tell, but I think one of, the, one of the most straightforward ways to tell or to gauge whether the Spirit is at work in you or not is to simply ask yourself how often you are praying about this. Prayer is an indication of a supernatural work. If you have ever made character changes in yourself and then later reverted back to how you were, oh man, I used to be... I used to be better at this. A lot of times it is, I think, a result of a lack of prayerfulness about it. You worked hard to change your habits, but it only stuck for as long as you were willing to work hard. If you want a permanent change, you need to not only work hard, but you need to pray and ask God to change things in you. Sanctification is a process. We've said this again and again that Justification happens at a moment in time. You, you believe and then you're justified before God. Glorification will happen at a moment in time. You'll die and you'll go to heaven and you'll be made perfect. But sanctification happens over the course of your life. And yet we really want 
sanctification to happen at a moment in time. And this is, I think, especially true in prayer, especially for those who struggle with consistency in prayer. We feel like we've done God this big favor by having this great time of prayer this morning. And then when our, when our day doesn't go exactly as we wanted, when we act poorly, when we do something that we didn't want, it's easy to kind of be frustrated with God. God, why didn't you... Like, why did you do this? Why did you let me act this way? Why did you have my day be so bad? I even prayed this morning like we did him a favor. When the reality is that we are, we are trying to have a lifetime of prayerfulness. It would make more sense biblically, I think, to pray about the same thing for five years. And then wonder, God, could we, could we maybe see some change in this now? Wouldn't it be great? I know I, I still have probably more than five years of life left. But I would like to start seeing some progress on this. It is a process. You are trying to set up spiritual habits. That will help you incrementally over time, become more and more like Jesus. It's nice when we kind of level up our spiritual life all at once. You know, if you, if you thought to yourself, I'm going to pray for an hour every day for the rest of my life. If you just decided that today, and then you just did it, that would be great. I mean, we should all, we should all resolve in our hearts and we should be empowered by the Spirit to do that and we should just do it for an hour a day. Wouldn't it be great? But the reality is, with many of your spiritual habits, it takes a little bit of time to get into them, to have them, to have them take. It is designed to be a process. And so when you fail, and you will because you are not yet glorified, you are still sinful... When you fail, even that is meant to be used for your sanctification. And so I would encourage you to resolve to pray more often, but you cannot get discouraged if and when you fail. I've done this, I know, plenty of times with my daily devotions, which I try and combine with with both prayer and, and reading, that I'll have a nice streak going. I'll be like reading and praying every day for one week, for two weeks, for three weeks, and it seems great. And then I miss a day or like maybe we had like a lot of stuff going on for the weekend. And so I miss a weekend and then it's Monday and it's like, uh, I'm kind of out of the habit. And suddenly it's like a month later and I'm like, how often have I even read my Bible or prayed this last month? You can be going great and then you miss a day and it completely derails you. It's pro- like there are probably a lot of things like that in life, I think. These are the sorts of things that, one, we should be praying to avoid. Right? You need, you need preemptive prayer for these kinds of things. God, when I mess up, and I know that I will, help me to get right back to it. But these are the sort of things that over time we hope to become better at. And you don't probably, it might be that you will just, you know, you'll never fall off the horse again. But probably what will happen is you'll miss a day and instead of missing a month this time, oh, maybe you only miss three weeks or two, right? We start condensing that amount of time that it takes you to get back on track. But these are the sorts of things to pray about. And I would encourage you just as with Scripture... Just use your imagination to get creative with how you pray. You do not need to pray the same way and at the same time as everyone else. You can do what works best for you. Pray in the morning. Pray in the evening. Pray throughout the day. I know someone who tries to pray for every single person he has a significant conversation with. After he's done with the conversation, he just tries to pray really quickly. Whew, that's a little convicting. Uh, that, would be, that would be difficult. But he's just in the habit of it now. And so he's praying all throughout the day. I want to give you permission. There is nothing wrong with falling asleep praying every single evening. It's okay. It's okay. The best way to wake up thinking about the Lord is to go to sleep at night thinking about the Lord. And so pray. Pray until you fall asleep. It is okay. 
You don't have to pray for every single thing on your prayer list every single time. I don't know if you've experienced this. If you, if you decide, oh, I'm going to start praying for things. Then you start writing things down. When, you, when someone asks you for prayer or you just hear about something that you know could use prayer, you write it down on your list. And it does not take too long for your prayer list to get very, very long. And that can, on the one hand, be discouraging because you look at this big, long list and you're like, I don't have time to pray for that all right now. And so you think, oh, I'll pray for that later. And then you pray for it at night and you fall asleep in the middle of it every night, of course. And so the, the first two lines of your prayer list have a lot of prayer. And everything underneath is like, oh, I don't know when. I don't know when I'm going to get to that. You don't have to pray for everything every single time. I know I've mentioned this before, but I have a little clipboard in my office of different categories of things to pray for every week. And so I pray for you know specific things related to our church some days. I pray for our missionaries some days. I pray for you guys some days. There are... There is almost no one on my regular prayer list who is not either in my family or a part of our church. Because you have to prioritize your prayers. You only have so much time to intercede on behalf of other people. And you guys and my family get top billing in my prayers. You get the majority of my time. And as I have time, I incorporate in other prayer requests. And it can be, again, it can be intimidating. And it can be, a, it can be something that keeps you from prayer when you have this, this very long list. And you're like, how, how am I going to get through all of this? As a pastor, I get... I get asked to pray for people from time to time, which is great. I love praying for people. But there's something special about being a pastor, I think, where people don't just want you to pray for them. They want you to keep on praying for them, which, again, is is fair. Everyone needs prayer. But I know I, I need to be careful with this. I have to prioritize my time. I have to prioritize my prayers. And my family and my church gets the majority of my prayers. And so I'll usually tell them if they are not a part of our church, my kind of my normal stance is I will pray for you right now. And then you need to go to your church and ask them to pray for you on an ongoing basis. If someone is not part of my church and sometimes there are circumstances where you're like, okay, this is like this is a big deal. I need to pray for this on a more ongoing basis. They might make my prayer list for a week or a couple of weeks, but eventually they're they're simply going to be removed Not because the situation doesn't need prayer, but because God has not called me to be the primary person praying for them. I want to be connected to the whole body of Christ. But again, you got to prioritize. And my family and my church are who I think God has called me to prioritize in my prayer life. You have to make your own decisions for your prayer list, for who you're going to pray for. But... I would encourage you to make the most time for what is most important. The reality is you only have so much time. And so maybe you have a dedicated time of prayer for these most important things. And maybe everything that doesn't fall into the most important category, you say, I'm just going to pray for this throughout my day. As I'm going around, I'll try and pray. Maybe there's a certain category of things that you like, okay, I'm going to read it Once a day, once a week, once a month, whatever. But the actual prayer is, God, you know what's on the rest of my list. I pray for those things, right? Just just lump them all, just lump them all together. I don't know. Again, you have to prioritize your own prayers. But the inevitable reality is that as much time as we devote to prayer, you're going to run out of it. You're, You're going to have competing things. In your day. And so what I encourage you to make sure that you're prioritizing your prayer. We're, we're even going to talk about that. Well, right now, what should you pray for? What kind of categories should you have in your prayer? This is, this is a really kind of famous way to categorize your prayers. 
Uh, it's pretty well known. I find it to be really helpful. It is, it's an it's a acronym, acrostic. I'm not sure what the difference are between those. It's one of those two. Acts, Acts, like the fifth book of the New Testament. A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. I would encourage you to just roll through this every time you pray. Every time. This will keep you well balanced in your prayer. You can do something different. You're not going to offend me. And again, I've already encouraged you to be creative. You don't have to do the same thing as everyone else. But this is very, very helpful. Adoration. Part of your prayer, part of your normal prayer life, you should be telling God something true about himself. You should be telling God what you appreciate. You should be telling God that you love him. What he's like. How good he is. Revelation 4.11 gives us an example of this. This is a scene from heaven. And they're speaking directly to Jesus. They say, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Is it a surprise to God that he is worthy of all glory, honor, and power? Does God know that he created all things? And that by his will they existed and were created? Yeah, he knows all of that. He is aware. But... This is part of what we are meant to do in prayer. This isn't a surprise. He also knows what you need. Right? This is, none of this is a surprise to him. We're not informing him in a traditional sense with other people where they just wouldn't know what you needed or what you wanted if you didn't tell them. God knows all of this. But part of what we're supposed to do is we, we tell God how great he is. We adore God as part of our prayer life. It's November, which means that you should have already been listening to Christmas music for a couple of weeks now, at least. <laughs> and my, my very favorite Christmas song, I, I think easily, is O Come All Ye Faithful. I, I love it. And the chorus in particular, I feel like is, is very unlike most other songs. It just repeats... A couple of times, oh, come let us adore him. What an interesting thing to sing. Let's all go adore Jesus. That is part, we try and capture that with Christmas. This idea of, of coming and seeing this baby who is Christ incarnate. And we know, I don't know, we think babies are cute. You see a new baby, a friend of ours just had a baby, I think this last week, or at least I just saw pictures of him this last week. See the pictures online, on Facebook, and you're like, oh, like so cute. Like that's, that's kind of our sense of what adoration is, right? And we associate this with baby Jesus. Oh, like, like this cute little, little bundle of God incarnate, right? Like it's, it's both a... It's both an adorable baby and a miracle of the incarnation. But we are supposed to adore God all of the time. And not in this like, oh, how cute kind of way. In this, in this unbelievable way. We're supposed to be in awe of God all of the time. And that should come out in our prayer life. Confession should be part of prayer. Remember Acts. Adoration, confession. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You are forgiven. You are justified at a moment in time for all of the sins you will ever commit when you came to faith. And yet... There is this need to ongoingly confess your sins, repent of your sins, receive forgiveness from God. 
Not so you can be saved. It's not like you lost your salvation. But to restore your relationship with him. To come, to come back in line with him. Thanksgiving, part of prayer, is telling God what you are thankful for. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to the change. Literally every good thing that you have is a gift from God, that verse is saying. So thank him for it. What is it that you have that's good? Thank him for it. Supplication is the S of Acts. Ask. Ask things of God. Ask for yourself. Intercede on behalf of others. We've already talked about this, how, how God loves to give good gifts to those who ask him. And so I would encourage you, this is, this is really helpful. I use this essentially every time I pray. I go through these four categories of things. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. You can do your own thing. It's fine. It's fine. But prioritize your prayer life. Both making sure that you have time to do it. And that it's something that is ongoing throughout your life. My, one of the first classes you take in seminary is a class on prayer. And your assignment for the semester is to pray for an hour every single day. It's a little rough, I'll be honest. You get to seminary and you expect, like, oh, yeah, like, I'm going to learn a lot and I'm going to become a godlier person. And then right away, like, yeah, yeah, all of those things. So pray for an hour. You're like, oh, I'm not, this isn't what I signed up for. Like, this is, this is hard. It's difficult. And there, are, there were an astounding number of times where I'm, like, ready for bed at the end of the night. And it's like, oh, my goodness, like, I'm an hour away from bedtime because I have got to pray. This is, I've got to do it. This is an astoundingly difficult thing for so many people. And yet, it is of vital importance to our lives because we are engaged in spiritual warfare all the time. What is, what is at stake is our Christ-likeness. What is at stake is our, is our witness to others, our ability to, to proclaim the gospel to others. We are under attack by a spiritual enemy, and we need prayer to help us. Back when we were going through Mark, in Mark chapter 9, I had a quote from John Piper, and I just want to, this is the same quote. So if it sounds familiar, it's because a few months ago you heard it, but I love it. He's talking about the necessity of prayer because of the spiritual warfare in our life. He says, we cannot know what prayer is for until we know that life is war. Life is war. That is not all it is, but it is always that. Our weakness in prayer is owing largely to our neglect of this truth. Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. God has given us prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie so that we can call headquarters for everything we need as the kingdom of God advances in the world. Prayer gives us the significance of frontline forces and gives God the glory of a limitless provider. The one who gives the power gets the glory. Thus prayer safeguards the supremacy of God while linking us with endless grace for every need. It is not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the dead. One of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. Prayer takes your time. It is intended to help you wage spiritual warfare on this earth. It is intended to help you to do the difficult, impossible task of being sanctified and playing your part in advancing the kingdom of God on the earth. 
I love this line that prayer gives us the significance of frontline forces and gives God the glory of a limitless provider. We are able to do what God has called us to do through prayer and through the power of his spirit. And when we engage in prayer, we are reminding ourselves again and again and again that it is God who gets the glory because he is the one who has the power to help us do all that we need. So prioritize prayer in your time. And in your prayer, make sure that you thank God that he is a limitless provider. So various tools that the Spirit uses to sanctify us, scripture and prayer. Right now we're going to talk about fellowship. Fellowship is honestly not my favorite English word. To me, it seems like a very churchy word. No one out in the world is using the word fellowship unless they're talking about the first Lord of the Rings book. So it is not always immediately clear what we mean by fellowship. And we'll use it sometimes. Oh, it was a, it was a great time of fellowship. Was it though? Or were we just hanging out? What exactly is the difference between fellowship and hanging out, I wonder? I'm not, sure that, I'm not sure that many people have a very clear answer to that. It's fellowship if we're all Christians, and it's hanging out if some of us aren't. I don't, I don't know. It's a little bit hard. We're going to try and define it a little bit. But... But for our purposes now, what we mean by fellowship is going to church and spending time with other believers. That's it. That's what we mean. Now, there are a lot of ways that we can spend time with other believers. And I guess there are a lot of churches that we can go to. That both won't necessarily help us to become more like Christ. But we're kind of giving both the church and your friends the benefit of the doubt here. That that the purpose is to help you become more like Christ. Because that is what church and believing friends, or believing acquaintances even, are intended to do. Proverbs 27, 17, we're told that iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Hebrews 3.13 says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And Hebrews 10.24-25 says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Those two verses in Hebrews are really interesting. And I love that they come from the same book, just a few chapters apart. Hebrews 3 tells us that we should be exhorting one another that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So exhort one another. You can't exhort one another unless you're around each other, right? This this assumes a kind of personal relationship. Exhort one another. In order to keep each other from sinning. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Then Hebrews 10 tells us something different. Let us consider how to stir up one another. Again, this is, this is the assumption of a personal relationship. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together. That's a reference to church. as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. This verse says, let us consider how to help each other do what's right. Stir up one another to love and good works. This is part of what believers are supposed to do. We're supposed to help each other not do what is wrong. And we're supposed to help each other to do what is right. It's very simple. We are supposed to be good influences on each other. 
And part of the reason, I think part of the wisdom of this is that there are many bad influences in our life that encourage us to do, well, not what we should be doing. We have a nice word for this with kids. It's peer pressure. We think about peer pressure a lot with kids, not as much with adults. According to a 2012 study by Parent Further, 90% of teenagers say they've been influenced by peer pressure. And this is maybe at its most frightening with drug and alcohol use. According to the Underage Drinking Research Initiative, 40% of 8th graders... And 66% of 10th graders have tried alcohol. That is a very high percentage. 55% of teens tried drugs for the first time because they felt pressured by friends. 70% of those who smoke said they started because their friends did or felt pressure. Peer pressure is a real thing for kids. But the reality is that as adults, maybe we are less affected by peer pressure. But I think it's an inevitable reality that we are affected by those we spend time with. We can be encouraged to do what's right. We can be discouraged to do what's wrong if we hang out with people. Who will do that for us. And it's interesting. We've been in, uh, in youth group on Sunday nights. We've been talking about spiritual gifts. We've been in Ephesians. And there are all these spiritual gifts that are given to the church. A spiritual gift is something. You weren't born with a spiritual gift. You were, you were given a spiritual gift. By the Holy Spirit. At the moment you became a Christian. It could be related to your natural talents and inclinations but it could also be something that is completely new that's brand new and why do you suppose we've been given spiritual gifts what is what are the purpose of spiritual gifts i think it's easy to think that we have that that we are the way that we are so that we can become more like jesus so we can be sanctified and that would make sense in our study right now right use your spiritual gift You'll become more like Christ. It makes a lot of sense. But that's not exactly what Scripture tells us. Though it is used for sanctification. Your spiritual gifts are used for the sanctification of others. You use your spiritual gifts within the context of the church and amongst other believers. So that the church and other believers can become more like Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Ephesians 4, 12-13, he just listed all of these various spiritual gifts. And he says the reason is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. And so we spend time around each other because, not just because we're kind of good influences, but because we literally have supernatural power as believers that has been given to us by the Holy Spirit. You have spiritual gifts that you're able to use in the context of the church and with other believers that is intended to glorify God and sanctify other people. It is for the common good. This is why spending time with other believers matters. This is why going to church matters. You probably know someone who claims to be a Christian. I mean, we don't got to be cynical about this. Who is a Christian, but who doesn't go to church. And they might listen to a lot of sermons on the radio, on television. We don't need to get into the wide range of quality of sermons on television or on the radio right now. But the point is there's, there's any number of people who feel like that is good enough. And, especially in the internet age, whoever your favorite preacher is, you can hear them all the time. 
You can, you can listen to them every week because it's all online. You can listen to them every week. You can hear every sermon they've ever preached. You can hear everything. And so sometimes it can be a little discouraging when your local pastor is not as good as whoever your favorite preacher is. And yet, as much as a sermon matters for your spiritual life, fellowship also matters, is also what the Holy Spirit uses to make you more like Christ. You need more than just a sermon. You do. You need a church. You need a church that you go to where you know others. Where other people know you. Where other people are using their spiritual gifts for your benefit and you're using your spiritual gifts for their benefit. Where you're encouraging them to love and good deeds. Where you're exhorting them that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's why we're here. And so I would encourage you Part of the reason we come to church, if it's to know each other, I would encourage you to spend time with each other. I want to make it as unweird as possible for any of you to want to get together for any reason. It should not be weird if someone that you don't even know very well came up to you after even the... the, the Service today. I was like, hey, do you want to get coffee sometime? Do you want to grab lunch? Do you want to hang out? That is, that is okay. That is good. That is not weird. What are you going to talk about? Man, I don't know. Sometimes it can be interesting. I've had, plenty of, I've had plenty of meetings where I was like, what are we going to talk about going in? And I don't know. You get, you get better the longer you do it about... Dealing with awkwardness. I'm sure plenty of people got to deal with my awkwardness. I get talking about who knows what. But it is good for us to spend time together. And you will get better at it the more you do it. And you'll be forgiven if you're not very good at it at the beginning. It is okay. But we need a church culture where we spend time together. I think this is especially True with across generations, I guess I should say. It is important for older generations to be mentoring and discipling younger generations, to teach them to obey more closely and to flee from sin. And man, when we start using words like mentorship and discipleship, there are a few things that scare people more. Like, like I can, you know, I can get together and chat with someone, but like, how do I, how do I mentor a younger person? I mean, if you want to talk about that, we can. We don't have time to go into all the details today. But it is, you are not expected to be perfect to be able to help someone else. And in fact, if you have been thoughtful at all about your mistakes, that is one of the most That is one of the most helpful things in the world to someone else. Be willing to meet with someone, even if it's scary, even if you don't know what you're going to say, even if you don't know how to do it. We need a culture of spending time together because that is how, that is one of the tools that the Spirit uses to sanctify us. Two more things at the end, just kind of quickly. Obedience is something, is one of the tools that the Spirit uses. We have said that sanctification is not performance of external duties. But even though that's not what sanctification is, it's not just change your behavior. What you do can affect your Christ-likeness. In John 15, Jesus says, abide in me, that we can't bear fruit unless we abide in Christ. And then in verse 10 of John 15, Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So, sanctification isn't doing these external things, but doing what is right, keeping the commandments of God, is part of what God uses to cause us to love God more. That's exactly what Jesus is saying in John 15, 10. 
So you don't just get to be like, oh, sanctification is an internal work of the Holy Spirit. I can do whatever I want unless, you know, it's up to God to change, to change my heart. I mean, yes, the Holy Spirit needs to change your heart. But obedience is one of the ways that he does it. It's one of the tools. Want to love God more? Obey his commandments. That is exactly what Jesus says. That's one of the tools. Also, this is just a catch-all. Providence. Literally anything can work toward your sanctification. Romans 8.28 tells us that we know, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, just because it works together for good doesn't mean that it will work together for your sanctification. I don't know if you... If you die today, that won't work together for your sanctification. But if you believe in Christ, you'll go to heaven, right? It, like, it would work for your glorification. So there's, it has a, has a sort of final good in mind that all things will work together for good. But plenty of things that you were not expecting will work together for your sanctification, for your Christ-likeness. And James 1 even tells us specifically that difficulties, that trials work together to make you more like Christ. And so no matter how hard your life is, you can have confidence that that is one of the things that God uses to make you more like Christ. I mean, providence tells us that an easy life can also make you more like Christ. And maybe you all want to pray for that instead of the difficulty. But nonetheless... It is true that all things work together for good and that difficulty is one of the things that God uses. I think these are the most foundational tools that the Spirit uses for our sanctification. They're maybe the most obvious. Scripture, prayer, other believers, church, Obedience and, and then this catch-all, whatever God wants. He'll use anything, everything for our sanctification. We're going to get into uh, some different specifics. And, and again, uh, some of you asked for um, kind of a, a study on some specific things. And so we're going to get into some of those in the next couple of weeks. Um, there are more than these things that God uses for our sanctification, but I think these are the most foundational things. And so I would encourage you to, to focus on using the tools that God describes, that God promises he'll use for our sanctification. And you will find that, maybe not right away, but over time, you are becoming more like Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for all that we have in Christ. Thank you that you give us tools to sanctify us. We pray that you would... Um, constantly, always be making us more like Jesus all the time. That we would be faithful to use the tools that you've given us. Uh, we love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen.